All right, here we go. Going to do Swing Thoughts again. A lot of people were wondering, are you guys going to do Swing Thoughts again? Well, we are. People say, hey, when are you guys going to do Swing Thoughts again? I go, hold on. All right. We, uh... <laughs> we're just we're just like everyone else, you know. We need time. We're just slow to start. <laughs> well, what do you mean slow to start for the new year? Slow to start in general. I've never heard you like such a such a uh, quiet, hard to get into this thing intro ever. No, no, but I'm, it's a whole new thing I'm doing now. Usually, uh, you know, sixty words in by now. Oh yeah, no, I'm. <clears throat> it's a whole new thing where I'm just easing. I'm just easing into things. Okay. Is that a resolution? Uh, no. I just think that uh, we've done so many shows. I said this to Fred, too. I said, we've done so many shows. It's like the old days of, you know, like when we're doing this show on the radio, yeah, it sort of demands a little bit of like, welcome to the show, and hey, we're doing a show, but it's a podcast, and we've done so many of them. It's like, you know, you downloaded the show. You know it's me. I just had some yogurt. Tim's there. He looks great. You know why the we don't need to be the big fanfare. Like when we get back on, if we get back on in the spring, and I think we will, when we're doing the show on the radio, it kind of, because other shows would be around it, you have to go, hey, everyone, welcome to this show. But people downloaded energy. this show. What's that? So it demands energy to well, command your attention. Yeah, and I, and I don't have, I'm, I'm an old man now, Tim. I, I don't have any more of that energy left. I'm just. God. <laughs> Quick story. I remember Jerry. You know, remember Jerry Dobson was CFTO. I think he was a sportscaster. He did some shows. I yeah, of course. On, I remember his name. Yeah, he had a golf show, and, and so Jerry, maybe five eight, maybe one hundred and fifty pounds. You know, not the biggest guy. When he started his show, I remember sitting beside him in the studio and said, "Welcome to the Golf Report" or something. And, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> this is energy. <clears throat> it, it bounded out of this. This little person, my God. When, when I was first starting off on radio, I, I would invariably meet, I'd invariably meet other radio people. And when I was, you know, and I admired them and I'd listen to their tapes, you know, and there was guys in Vancouver and that was the big market. And, you know, invariably there were guys with voices like CKLG, uh, stand by, you know, it was this huge ballsy. And then I meet them in person and they were these tiny, fat, bald guys. And I'm like, wait a second. And then one day I was the tiny, fat, bald guy. And I had someone say to me, wow, you don't look anything like your voice. I'm like, I know, I know. I know. I've got a face for radio. I've heard it. I get it. I was waiting for that one. Absolutely. Uh, welcome. To the, okay, so now welcome, everybody, because it doesn't need the big intro. People know you've downloaded Swing Thoughts. Happy New Year. Uh, we did a little uh, secret show, me and my bro, but this is the first Tim and Howard uh, show. Golf spiritual leader, along with Tim O'Connor, who is a wonderful man, a, a life coach, a golf coach, a good friend. And uh, we're pleased to have everyone along. Thanks to our friends at TaylorMade, their new golf clubs, all the rage. Everyone's talking about the new sim drivers. And I, I didn't even realize this till this morning. I saw something from TaylorMade that they're also making a new version, I guess, of their M M-Line irons. But here's what I would say, and maybe uh, you can back me up, Timmy. The clubs that we use from TaylorMade are the finest, top quality. And uh, if you're looking to get fit or make a switch, we couldn't recommend them enough. Absolutely, yeah. TaylorMade uh, makes amazing stuff. I, I have the uh, the 790 irons, which yeah. I really think are the 
the best irons I've ever owned. I just love looking at them. Uh, I like looking at them just when I'm not even playing golf. They look so nice, and I look <laughs> down at them, and they look yeah. great, and all that. And I <laughs> I hit them the other day with my coach, Mike Marks. We'll get to Mike in a second. Mike's hit standing by. Mike can see us, and we're just like, shish, Mike, we're doing this very cool opening now. Uh, anyway, also thanks to our friends at Adidas. I see, uh, because I'm looking at Tim on Zoom, he looks great in his Adidas shirt. Oh, wrong shirt, yeah. Um, you know what's cool is that there's three of us on this screen. There's Tim O'Connor, uh, performance coach. Uh, in a second, you're going to hear from a guy named Mike Martz, returning to our program. Venerable, longtime teacher, most certified golf instructor uh, on in this country. But he's a he's he's a, um he's managed to put his shirt on a nice one his little mock turtleneck. But I don't know if you guys could see just before I came downstairs in the studio, my girlfriend said to me, she said, "You know your shirt's on inside out, don't you?" And I'm like, I don't think that's going to matter to Mike and Tim. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys can see, but she said, "Wouldn't your first clue be the buttons are on the inside?" And I'm like, I'm in a hurry. <laughs> a busy man. I don't have time for. I'm a busy man. Like buttons and stuff. I don't have time. But she, just the way she said it, she's really funny. She goes, "Wouldn't your first clue have been that the?" Uh, welcome back to our show, Mertz. What's going on? I think you're channeling Harry Houdini today with the buttons on the inside. <laughs> By the way, this I don't. It's just this shirt, Mikey. I every time I wear it, it's on. I don't know why. When I launder it, it doesn't matter. Mike Mertz uh, is. Uh, has returned to our program. I, I, I've lost track. It's been at least a couple times. I think this could be number three. I think we're going yeah. for the hat trick today. Uh, well, I'm as, great. How are you, Howard? How are you, Tim? I'm great too. Yeah, it's nice. uh, it's, it's it's so dark this time of year. It's uh, although I'm happy and bright, but I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's, yeah, nice. so it's a little rainy. Yeah, but it's nice to see you the other day at uh, Whistle Bear. We. Can, a couple of days ago, we can get into that a little bit later. But. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit. Well, we're, today we're going to talk um, about your uh, encounter with Mike. I've had the uh, privilege of working with Mike uh, once a long time ago, but let's just set Mike up a little. Mike, Mike uh, of course, if you've heard other shows, you know he's a was a very good friend of Mo Norman. And uh, maybe there's just a quick discussion about about the Mo Norman project. I, uh, in fact, I saw Mike. Wasn't Mike on some of that documentary? Absolutely. Yeah, they interviewed you uh, for a while, and you're in that. You're all over that documentary, yeah. aren't you, Mike? The Mo I'm Norman. All over. I'm all over everything. Yeah, yeah but yeah. do do you know much about it, you guys? You might want to mention or update people that they're doing a. Uh, your friend uh, Todd uh, Graves is doing a documentary. He's got some good backing. Uh, what's that all about? Yeah, well, um, so for years and years, there's been talk of a, a Mo biopic, like a fictional movie, but that never quite got off the ground. And the key guy behind that was, uh, oh, man, I'm going to gap on his, on his name. Mike, do you remember? Who's, who's the Barry guy? Morrow. Yeah, Barry Morrow, yeah. Barry Morrow. Anyway, so Barry and Todd finally got together and said, okay, never mind this fictional movie. Let's do a documentary. So a lot less cost, but way more doable. So for, gosh, for about three years now, they've been uh, doing interviews with all kinds of people, uh, people like Mike. Uh, I was interviewed, Lauren Roops, journalists, old friends of Mo, uh, friends, golf professionals, and they're coming close to finishing it up. They're getting kind of their A-list interviews done, like trying to get folks like Lee Trevino and Paul Azinger. 
and they're starting to get into production now and they're talking about trying to um have it debut at uh tiff the toronto film festival uh in uh, this, in this fall 2020 fall 2020 yeah hey so, mark uh, mark uh, mike martz tell me in all the i know you've been interviewed people ask you about mo all the time and i i'm sure you get not tired of it but you've told a lot of the same stories is there one story even if you've told it before that you particularly like like one of your one of your favorites where you as you tell it it's sort of maybe the quintessential story or even just one of your favorite stories well i think i think one of my favorite stories with mo is when i was driving him to florida after he had heart surgery i don't even know what year it was 97 98 96 somewhere in there and we went through Windsor, and of course, he doesn't let, never went down I-75. He went through Corning, New York, to Florida for 37 straight years, which obviously Google Maps wouldn't take you that way. Um, but we went through Windsor, and we got to the border, and I'm driving his Cadillac, and of course, the, the, guard, the guard looks in, and the back seat's full of everything Mo owns, and looks like we probably just robbed the house in Windsor and we're <laughs> back to the state. He just and, pulled a uh, caper. Yeah, just pulled the caper, and we didn't really cover up anything much, right? So um, she says to us, how much money are you carrying? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I said, well, not very much. I'm driving my retired friend here to Florida. And he says, well, I've got about uh, 15000 And she says, oh, okay. And he says, well, then I've got about 10000 Canadian, but that doesn't count. So, of course, they pull us over. And they start to disassemble Mo's car. And if you've ever, if you'd ever seen Mo's car, you know that once it's disassembled, it's going to be six hours. For me to reassemble. <laughs> exactly, the car so, legendary. So we go into into the border uh, area there, and and I take Mo's information, and I, I come in, and I said to him, I said, Murray, just sit over on the bench over there, and I'll talk to them, and I'll see what we can do. And he says, Well, I won a few tournaments in Windsor; they'll know who I am. And I said, so, well, that was 19, 1974, and this is 1996, so let's see. So I put him on the bench, and I go up to the border people, and I look back, and Mo's sitting there with, I'm going to say, two fellows from the Satan's Choice. And, <laughs> and Mo's sitting on the bench beside them singing, I left my heart in San Francisco. And uh, I go down and sit beside them finally. And in about 20 minutes, these guys are looking at us. We're looking at them. The border patrol calls me up. And uh, hands me Mo's information, says, get out of here. So I said, Murray, come on, let's go. And he's still sitting there with these guys. And I said, move your feet. He gets up, he starts running. He says, what are you doing? I said, we're going. But when he opened his trunk, what he did was he he took the Golf Digest that had the big spread with all his pictures in it, and he laid it out right across the top. Oh, I see. So he said, when they look in, they're going to recognize who I am. Yeah, that's funny. So that was, that was an interesting, about an hour we spent at the border, the only time he ever went through Windsor, but... Well, if, if before and before we get to um, some of the stuff we want to talk today, which is m- mainly our topic today, is going to be about can you impact your golf game in the winter? We've talked about you know swings and and uh, making changing patterns, but we'll get to that in one one second. But Mike, one last story, if you will, about because everyone you know talks about how how great he hit it. But you, you've been a guy, in terms of certification, years of studying golf swings. And I think sometimes we, we are so amazed by what he could do that we don't think we can. Was there anything that we could learn from the way he hit a golf ball? Well, I think that it was just the simplicity of the way he moved the golf club. 
Um, you know, anybody that sort of looked at his swing and studied his swing and tried to figure out why he could hit it so well, why Hogan hit it so well, why Snead hit it so well, doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's there's some people that that don't like moving the club up and down similar lines, and there's people that do. And I think I think that he just moved the club. If you kind of looked at, it, he moved the club head kind of up and down his, his right shoulder plane, his right elbow plane, back and down, and it never really much varied from there. So. Um, you know, I think if you're going to deliver the club, move it up and down similar lines and deliver it the same way every time, I mean, you're going to get good results. Um, and arguably, I mean, you, you're going to get good at whatever you do, no matter how you do it. And if you're going to hit 3 million or 4 million balls, you're going to get pretty good at what you do. But I, th- I think that was the simplicity of his move that everybody that watched him hit balls and, and tried to study his swing just couldn't figure out how a guy could move the club up and down the same lines so often. Okay, Tim, you'll maybe um, appreciate the segue that's about to happen. Because we had talked, Tim and I, a couple of days ago, and he mentioned, Mike, that he was working with you at Whistle Bear indoors, and, and we started having a discussion. I think the first time probably in four years where Tim and I have ever talked about the numbers on TrackMan in any detail. And what I want to connect now is from what you just said about Mo and the simplicity of the swing and, you know, three or four million, you know, shots. But what you can learn now these days in TrackMan, as Tim just found out the other day, is there are numerical absolutes in the golf swing. And I wonder if anyone ever did or how interesting it would be to TrackMan Mo Norman's golf swing and see what those numbers look like in terms of, and we can get into numbers a little bit. What do you think about that, Mike? Well, I know that like at most funeral, Mr. Uline was a pallbearer, and he said that uh, when they did the, that video shoot of Mo for Golf Digest and whatever year that was, 95, at that time they had very rudimentary launch monitors. And he said that he'd never, they'd never seen anybody not hit, hit a ball with any bank spins to any sort of curving to it the whole time. Like wow. he hit balls for three straight hours and never curved a shot. That's what, and that's what he told me. And then, but, you know, uh, unfortunately at that time, I mean, there just wasn't the ability to, to measure right. that. So. You know, Tim and I sort of looked at some of that the other day, and 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 I don't know. A lot of people they try to get on track, man. And I mean, if you know anything about the numbers, they try to zero out face and path. And I'm sort of against that for a number of reasons, sort of mathematically. But you know, I'm sure that Mo would would have been very much delivering kind of zero zero and and had the face always square to path anyway. Because you know, if anybody ever watched him hit balls, and I know how you you watched him hit some balls there at the uh, the Skins game for sure. Well, I saw him at the Skins game, but I saw him. You know, I. Spent some time with Mark Evershed in those days, and Mo was always around. I saw Mo, I mean, not like you guys, but I saw him, I was privileged to see him at the driving range at Hidden Lake sometimes. And, and by the way, yeah. he would often drop by the National just unannounced yeah. and just start hitting balls. Uh, so let's start with that. You know, Timmy, maybe you can begin by, uh, you know, talking a little bit about what, what, motivated you to go see uh, somebody this winter and and maybe we can all talk a little bit about can you make some differences and maybe maybe this is the best time to work on your golf swing yeah well um i've known mike for a for a long time through our, our friendship around mo and uh, i've always respected mike as a as an instructor but i'd never had the opportunity to really to work with him so i thought oh what the hell let's so we had a chat uh in the fall I thought, okay, let's 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 start doing it. So, um, because I was really like, I've made some great strides with my game. Last year was the best I ever putted the ball, but there was just some—I uh, hate to use the word inconsistency—but 
but just I, my game would just change from week to week to week. So I just thought, okay, I need to get looked at. So I thought the winter is the perfect time. So we went to see, I went to see Mike a couple of days ago. And what was interesting, Mike, when I, for me, I think I reflected this. I had not really swung a golf club since October. <laughs> Got in there, swung a little bit, and boom, hit some. And it, it was like kind of, okay, it's kind of there without even thinking about it. And then we just kind of got to work on what I was looking to do and, and you know, what, what were the things that concerned me. And then we just started to look at the numbers. And um, it was really interesting to me in that um, you kind of showed me the numbers, but you didn't want me to get too kind of spellbound by them. Can you talk about why, why that's important? Well, I, you know, I think you and I talked about, and what you just mentioned, when you haven't hit balls for a long time like that, sometimes you get some pretty good strikes. And right away, I mean, you hit some pretty good solid shots there. And, and you know, the most golfers are sort of spellbound with if they miss a week and then they're sitting there hitting a shot, they're going, well, wait a minute, I hit the ball pretty good two weeks ago. Now, what was I doing again? <laughs> and yeah, you know, because everything is, is a compensation for previous misses. So sometimes you get up there and I think maybe a little truer swing of, of how you move the golf club actually comes out when you haven't hit some balls for a while. Because you're not thinking, oh, yeah, I, oh, wait a minute. I used to make my elbow do this or something. Right. So, yeah. so you end up just sort of making some swings, striking the ball, which basically the way your body wanted to move. And, I mean, it's sort of innate for us to hit something with a stick. I mean, we killed things with a stick for years just to eat. So when you get swinging You know it, club, Mike. I'm from Moose Jaw, son. That's how Moose we did Jaw, it. yeah. That's how we did it. None of this you fancy. You did Christmas dinner up That's there. right. None of your fancy <laughs> store-bought food in Ontario. That's right. We'd just go out with a nine iron and oh get some wild gosh. turkey. Exactly. So, I mean, so basically what we were looking at there, and, and I like to watch players hit some balls. And I said to Tim, I mean, typically what I would like to do is I have the screen blank, have you hit balls, hit 10 balls, and let's just see sort of what the, the thumbprint of your swing lo- actually looks like without you making compensation and swing based on looking at the flight. Right. So, in other words, if you got up and you, you hit, you know, a couple of big duck hooks to start – that you might look at those, even though I said you just make your swing, all of a sudden you either open the face or try to do something to, to not hit that shot. So all I'm going to see then is your compensation and not really the truly truly the way that you move. So when you went through and hit a bunch of those shots, I mean, sort of the shot that you were describing to me that you were playing last year wasn't really what was coming out mathematically. So, you know, we sort of looked at really, okay, the shot you're trying to hit when you're playing well, is that really the shot that your body likes to produce on a consistent manner? And it, and it sort of looked like it wasn't. Right. So that's sort of the conclusion that we kind of came to after we looked at those numbers. Well, Mike, back. explain that. Like you're saying, Tim Tim told me a little bit of the story, and I, all the golf I've played with Tim, which isn't a lot, but we've hit balls. I know he likes to hit what he thinks is a, a soft draw. Yeah. But you found out that is actually his body moves in a different way, producing almost a fade. Yeah. Yeah, well, when we looked at the shots that he hit, it was, I don't know, maybe it was, say, let's just say it was a dozen to 15 shots. Well, he had path going left and face going right through impact. So when path goes left and face goes right, you're going to hit a fade. So uh, the couple of draws he did hit, he had a couple where he introduced a face a little close to his path, but they started left and then went left. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's the shot that, you know, as soon as he hit, he said, that's the shot that really bugs me. And, I mean, it was a nice, not that it was an out-of-controlled draw, but it started left the target and then went left. So, you know, the big thing about when you look at, track man numbers no matter what kind of shot you're trying to hit is that you better have path going one way and face going the other or you're going to hit shots that start offline and go offline where what i look at is i like the ball to actually start offline and move toward line 
Okay, so explain so, that. So it's in your scenario that you've described, uh, Tim's path is going to the left. His face was open, which yeah. produced kind of a straight, almost baby cut block. Right, What's the right. formula for a draw? Well, then he would have path going the other way. Path going path right. Right with the face left. So with the face closed. So it was what was interesting is that after he hit about 15 shots, I said, you know, he felt like, well, maybe I'm not compressing it well enough. So I said, let's just see if we can. I mean, visualize hitting a shot that's going to be something kind of punched lower where it's either into the wind or say under an overhanging tree branch or something like that. And then as soon as he did that, he had path going to the right about six shots in a row with the face left. So as soon as he tried to punch it low, he hit his draw. And as soon as he made his just his swing, he had a fade. So you can see where, I mean, obviously that could run into some issues when you're playing, when mm-hmm. you have to visualize a certain shot and if something else actually happens. Yeah, I mean, unless you've misaimed, you're in trouble. So, I mean, that was sort of what we we discovered there. Go ahead, Tim. I was going to say that um, that's Howard's and I little signal, and who's going to who's going to ask? Yeah, sorry. If if we point it, go ahead. Yeah, if we point at one another, it doesn't mean that you have to stop. It just means that we're excited to be the next person's talk after you. Exactly. Well, I, and I'm, I'm used to being, uh, I guess, at the, the front of the class, and I just left him with his hand up, so I wasn't sure what he needed to do. But but, it, I, but did you finish your point? That I mean, yeah, if you don't know, I, I like this word, I don't know about you, about you guys, I, I'm not looking for consistency, I'm looking for predictability. Right. And if you can't right. predict, <clears throat> excuse me, based on what you've drawn up in terms of what shot you want to hit, or if in K- Tim's case, you think you're doing one thing, and other things are happening, it's impossible to predict at any, with any confidence the shot right. that's going to come out. Right. And I think if perception doesn't match reality, you're in trouble. Okay? Yeah, exactly. So. But one of the things I thought was very interesting is, in, and apropos talking about Mo Norman, is you were saying that a lot of people try to hit the ball straight. And so they aim at their target and try and do that. Whereas what you um, really helped me understand was that you're far wiser, as you just said a moment ago, you start the ball offline and bring it back online. Like you're trying, you're going to curve the ball into your, into your right. target. Right. So why is right. that? Like, to me, that's something that a lot of people might not even like, they may not comprehend that. So what's the beauty of that? And Mike, if, yeah. if I may, before you answer that question, I think that's the, the problem with a lot of newer golfers is they believe that they're, they they spend a lifetime trying to learn to hit it straight when all good players, even once you get into the single-digit handicap, you're trying to move it some way, and as you get to round better players, they almost never hit straight shots anyway. Right, and I think that's the, the beauty these days of, if you watch uh, PGA or LPGA golf, they have that blue tracer on a lot of shots. Love that. So, And they'll show, in what, whether it's, it's peak or curve or, or carry distance or ball speed or whatever it is, I mean, you're, the the public is seeing that. Wait a minute, these great players. You mean you mean they don't hit it dead straight? You mean Dustin Johnson doesn't hit a 330 yard dead straight shot down the middle of the fairway? Hit something with 35 yards of curve on it? Yeah, that's crazy. But you know, and, and and you know, one of the guys I really found. I don't watch a lot of TV broadcasts, but but Azinger. I mean, he's he's kind of folksy and these stuff. But he, I mean, what one of the things I I really liked what he said. I forget what tournament it was, but he said. Some of the, the guys on the PJ Tour that hit the most fairways tend to hit the ball with the crookedest. Yeah, it's, isn't that interesting? Well, so they, I mean, it's a controlled curve. If you try to kick a soccer ball, if you try to throw a frisbee, it's not on a straight line. It's curving to the intended target. So, if we start to do that, when when you're trying to 
zero zero out your path and face to path and you're aiming straight down a line if you look at a 40 yard fairway if you try to aim straight down the middle you got 20 yards right 20 yards left and if you're going to hit the ball over 250 yards if you're going to introduce the face two or three degrees open or close to your path you're going to miss a fairway so i mean in a money ball sense if you hit a 30 yard slice and you aimed on the left edge of the fairway every time and hit 30 yard slice you're going to find a lot of fairways that one, that one double, one time you might actually close the face and hit a hook, the one out of a hundred shots is going to leave the golf course. But you're going to have 99 of them, and they're probably going to be near the near the fairway. And what's so interesting about that is is the average golfer, you can, like he would give his left um, left testicle to draw the ball. Sometimes they're like, called nuts among grown-ups, but go ahead. There you go. That's okay. a, I'm just kidding. You go ahead and I know he's a, he, he doesn't want anyone from his. Real life to hear this. But <laughs> <laughs> well, they all think they need to, that drawing the ball is nirvana. And, you know, yes, it looks very nice. But I remember uh, reading years ago, Lee Trevino saying that his fade allowed him to work with the entire fairway. Yeah. And it just gave him such a better odds of putting the ball in play. So it's really interesting how we have this culture where people think they need to hit it straight or hit this perfect baby draw where a lot of times the, a, a big curve, as you just said, Mike, you're going to find more fairways. So they, and actually, they work against themselves. Yeah. Well, but but I was, what I was going to say, Mike, before you, is just that part of the culture of learning to hit a golf ball, what Tim just said, I think, and, and what I tried to sort of make this weak point before, which is it the, the desire to hit a golf ball straight is what screws up a lot of new golfers because they're, they're searching for something that, that isn't necessarily what they want to end up hitting, but it's in the pursuit of it that screws up their motion so much. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Just um, um, like a lot of people say, well, I watched 20 years. I watched the world's greatest striker hit it dead straight, and I teach people to hit it crooked on purpose. So, and, and I think on purpose is, is the key the key phrase there is that, you know, Tim and I talked about if, if, if you could get up and he could hit the biggest biggest hook possible and make it finish on the center line, and hit the biggest slice possible and make it finish on the center line. I know now he understands path and face to path and how to control that. So that if he, if you get out and all of a sudden today your ball flight was always a draw and you were hitting a fade, well, you'd either know how to change where you aim or you'd know how to change that flight. But Coach Mike, would you, one of the things, and I, and I we're all around the same vintage, you know, Grew up hitting golf balls, you know, in the early 70s, Nicholas and Johnny Miller, and those were the people we admired. And I old remember, guys. pardon me, old guys. Old guys. And I remember yeah. as a young guy, like, I have, my father was a, a, a golf instruction nerd. Like, I remember being in the back of his store and he had all the golf digests. So early on, I understood that there was something to the motion. But I remember revering the, the swings of Nicholas and, and Miller and, you know, to my back's detriment. But, I, I remember thinking, you know, the way we swung with the reverse C, we came so far from the inside, from a track man perspective, the inside out numbers would have been way different back in those days of small drivers, you know, weak golf balls, shaft, all this, all that stuff. What the technology, I guess what I'm getting to is, so we grew up in an era where golf instruction was one way, but as the technology changed, that's why there isn't as much uh, movement in golf balls at the highest level. Guys aren't working it as much as they used to. Part, part of it is because they don't have to. 
And part of it is because the ball doesn't move as much. But talk to me a little bit about the swings of our day that where we were always taught to hit out to right field and bring it around, you know, and we wanted to hit hooks because they went further. Talk about that a little if you can. Well, I think when you look at, you know, the swing of, you know, say Nicholas, for instance, Tom Weisskopf, they were – the old swings were really high high left arms. They were really straight yes. up in the air. Kind of like then, Justin Thomas right now. High yes. left arm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he went high left arm, and then they had a shallow out coming into the ball. So when the club had a shallow out, so when it went from high to shallowing, which you talked about kind of swinging, hitting these looping hooks, the pelvis has to move in a different manner. So the right hip had to go down on the downswing to bring your arm in to strike it. Now with these the more modern swings, with the left arm being more across the shoulder line, it's more core rotated. So the left hip, the left, the right hip, sorry, stays higher through impact where and before it used to go low. And when it went low, I mean, there was a lot of compression and torsion on the right, lower spine. So as a result, uh, Johnny Miller, Jack Nicholas, nobody can walk by the time they're 55 years old. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it was more of a tilt than a turn. If you want to think of sort of, uh, you know, hitting a tennis forehand with the pelvis kind of rotating more level to the ground versus the right hip going down that brought the arms down. So, um, you know, who's uh, Phil Hardy or something? I think he did a lot of work on that on two-plane swings and one-plane swings and old swings versus new swings. But, I mean, it was a difference in the way you deliver the golf club. So if you try to go old school with your left arm really high and then rotate your core, so try to implement some new new stuff into it, you're going to have a path 35 left and hit the biggest slice you've ever hit in your life. So um, when you try to take old school and new school and mix them together, you tend to have issues. Okay. Well, you know who, um, It's in, speaking of old school and new school, is this guy George Gankus, who I watch a lot of. And Gankus, you know, he's the teacher of uh, Matthew Wolf and a few others, C.T. Pan, I believe. But one of the things, if you watch some of his stuff, I'm not sure if you've seen it, Mike, but he has bit. his players, he has his players get their arms as high as they can. Yeah. But what he does that's different from what you just described, and I, and I was making that motion. The 70s motion was that right hip went low, and you sort of yeah. slid. And then the reason we all ended up in a reverse C yeah. was that as you get that left hip going you know, to the left, your, your spine is being sort of held back. Yeah, is that that goat humping thing? It's the goat humping, but the the, the yeah, it's, and it's really hard on your back. But back to Genkis and those guys. So he has their hands high, but instead of that hip being low, he does the opposite. He gets the left hip low. He has them squeeze into the ground while they're rotating, and it's a very mm-hmm. modern version of those yeah. hands high swing. And what it does create in the right sequence is incredible uh, club head speed. Yeah. Well, speed, the, the speed is all based on the, the length of the hand path. So if those hands go really high, that's, that's, a, that's about as big as a, hand, a large a hand path as you can get. When the hands stay close to your body, you're, you're not going to create a lot of speed. So if you go super high like that, if you watch all the long drivers do the same thing. Right, they're really way up high, here. And then, yeah, so the, the, higher the, the longer the hand path, the greater potential you have for speed. But that move, that modern move, which is sort of pushing down – so that right hip never gets high, or, yeah, never gets low, I should say. And they push down and in, and then yeah. that's why they all pop up at the end. Right, they're, right. Because they're, they're trying to they, – they put that weight into the ground first. Right. And then they rotate so fast. Now, it's not for – Old guys. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's, uh, that's for the, not for the weekend. It's not sure. for everybody. But everybody, they, you watch when they show all the slow motion stuff, like guys like Justin Thomas and Bubba Watts. I mean, they're, basically, they almost don't have a spike in the ground as right. they're hitting through impact. I mean, they're, they're forcing themselves straight up 
And when you force yourself straight up, I mean, you're using the ground's reactive force to create speed. And when you slow rotation a little bit, the club head's, the club head's going to, basically when one segment decelerates, the next accelerates. So you're going to get some speed there for sure, but I'm not so sure it's, it's, it's the greatest move for Mrs. Smith at 65, but, you know, to increase your speed. No. Certainly there's, when you start to look at force plates and, and pressure mats and all this stuff, I mean, you can try to get, squeeze a little bit out here and a little bit out there. And, I mean, if you could hit the ball 10 yards farther in the PGA Tour, you know, let's look at, I don't know, strokes gain and see what happens there, but. You know, it's yeah, so you, benefit. So you're talking about Mrs. Smith at 65, but what about her golf nut son uh, who's who's 30 and he's an mm-hmm. avid player and right. he's seeing all these various models. Maybe he's he's such a nerd. He's actually even seen video of Mo Norman and think, okay, this guy is the you know straightest ball striker who ever lived. And then this George Gankus and Matthew Wolf. What do you think about people trying to apply a model to trying to, hit the ball like i want to make my swing look like this person so i need to make my body do this etc yeah i think it, that's sort of a foolish path um you know everybody's going to have a way that they're going to be able to move the club effectively for their certain situation so you know i think if you if you look at a client or an athlete you're working with and say okay what are your goals and see if we can get there and instead of we talked a little bit the other day about are we uh are we working on skill? Are we working on form? Um, and and I think that a lot of times players are working on form and not being overly skilled. They have a pretty looking swing, but that still shoots seventy eight competitively. Right. So I think that I don't think. You know, don't, hey, Mike, you don't have to 95. be mean. <laughs> you don't have to be mean. I had a pretty good year last tour, summer, Mike. You're on the PGA Tour or Corn Ferry, you're shooting you're, 78. Geez, you're in bad shape. Mike, Mike, how did you? Where did you get the information? Uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> I, I, I looked at your scoring a stroke average God this year. Damn it, Mike. Okay, well, I was thinking, like, Mike, one of the key things is that is that I, you know, you and I are working together over the winter, so that you know, come springtime, hit the pavement running. So what is the the what is the value uh, or what do you think people should, you know, if they're looking to, you know, have a better year uh, once uh, we've got green grass again, um, what's something that they can do? What would you recommend to that person? Uh, would it be work with a coach like yourself and work on their numbers and technical stuff or just where to put their focus through the winter? Well, I think that everybody has to sort of do some reflective work there and think about where they want to go and then how they're going to get there. And it's, it's always easy to know where I want to go. I want to be, you know, two shots better, three shots better, whatever it is. But the big thing is not what, but how. So then you have to look at that and okay, if I'm going to be a better player, if I want to hit it farther, whatever it happens to be, do I have to be technically better? Maybe do I have to maybe have equipment best suited to, to my swing? Maybe um, do I have to be more physically fit, able to create more speed? Probably. So, you know, we have to look at sort of all of these areas and say, okay, if, if we touch on two or three of these areas, just even make small incremental uh, gains, we're probably going to get where we need to go. But I think a lot of times we're just so fixated on, let's just make my swing look pretty. Uh, you know, I want to swing like, I really like how this person swings and he's could have helped me make me swing like that. And then put my picture, my video side by side with him and see where, why I can't swing like Tiger Woods. Um, you know, I think that's just that's kind of lunacy. Um, you have to look at your own your own physical abilities, your your mobility, your flexibility, your 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 skill set, and where can you go with that, and try to be the best possible version of you rather than being someone else. 
Well, <laughs> there's a lot there uh, in what both of you said. You know, I, I liked what you said about form versus skill. And can you acquire some new skills uh, over the winter months? And, and that's why a lot of guys will make changes in the winter. And sometimes you go out in the spring and it's like, well, where are those changes? What, what, I, what I really wanted to get to, though, is, and, and both of you uh, take a crack at this, the average person and their capacity for change in anything, whether it's as a you know, person or as a golfer, it's very difficult. And, and in golf world, we all know how much work it goes into uh, making even small changes, you know, change a grip, lose a friend, all that stuff. So, our, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you have to be, okay, what it, so what I would imagine, though, guys, <clears throat> is somebody, as Mike just said, you have to kind of assess what it is you want and what's reasonable that you could work on. It's the 10th of January when we're recording this, and people won't be playing golf for real, really, for four months. So what kind of things might we work on that would have the highest return for whatever effort we could give? Now, Mike, you, why don't you start, and, and maybe, Tim, from a mental perspective, kind of back it up with some stuff guys can think about in, in that realm. Well, I think when you're, if you're really trying to make a, a, you know, a considerable change to the way you're going to move your body, I, winter is the time to do it because I think with a lot of players, ball strikes get in the way of them and changing what they want to do Yeah, because they could be doing exactly what they think they want to do and come in and, you know, hit the ball a little higher or hit a low and, and kind of half top it and think, well, that result wasn't good. So that mustn't been what I wanted to do. Yeah. So then they get back into compensation mode again, and then they could just revert back to exactly what they were doing and align the stars and hit one that looks like they want to do and say, well, that must be what I wanted to do because that was the result I wanted. So a lot of times that ball strikes gets in the way and playing certainly gets in the way more than that because if you go out and you say, okay, I'm trying to do this in the first four holes, you pull top all four drives. Well, by the fifth hole, when you tee up your driver, you're going to go back to what you did because you know if I did this, I get that. Okay, so right away, you've if you're trying to get rid of a ha- – trying to create a new habit because you can't get rid of the old ones, if you start to go back to the old path, then you're getting further away from what you want to do. So, uh, you know, the winter time has to be when you're trying to do those things because you just won't get out there. And whether you watch ball flight or have a screen or not, I mean, you have to be able to do that. You know, I think one of the key words that came up there, Mike, uh, and that was the word habit. And a lot of people talk about having these great audacious goals, you know, lose 30 pounds, change my swing, et cetera. But the missing piece for a lot of people is what are the habits that they could do, say, on a on a almost daily basis or you know, similar kind of frequency, so they can start to ingrain these things and and make them part of them. So it's it's not so you can have the goals, but what are the habits? What are the things that you're doing on a frequent basis? And what's your commitment to them? Because commitment is is I believe the key piece. Because if you're not committed to to this, say, new way of of moving the club or how you're going to be in playing the game then you're going to easily get, not as you just said, you get on the tee and you top first four shots, you're going to go back to, to what you were doing if you're not committed. So the commitment is huge. Um, the other thing that I would suggest to people in terms of um, how you can use this time of year really effectively is to really review this the year you had before 
you know, what what were sort of some of the patterns that you saw in your game when you maybe played well, when you didn't? And and take a look at what patterns come up to you. But also just really zoom out and go like, <clears throat> why am I playing this game? Why do I play golf? And you'd be really interested sometimes to learn when you ask that question, there's a lot of stuff when you kind of go deep on it. There may be things that maybe uh, lowering your handicap is not the most important thing. Maybe looking good on the first tee is not the most important thing. Maybe it's about, I don't know, re- recalling how you loved connecting with your dad playing golf or just being outside and the freedom that you experienced. So it, I think that kind of stuff has almost as much, hey, it has the same amount of validity, if you will, to improving your game as looking at the habits that you want to ingrain and commit to technically and why you play this game. And you might learn some things about yourself and end up having some more fun. No, I think that's a great thing to reflect on January, February, March, April. And, you know, because we all want to, I don't, consistency in controlling golf balls, I've long given up the holy, um, you know, no one's in control. And that's the other thing that I think a lot of us would be surprised that even Justin Thomas and Tiger and those guys, you know, they they have a, a higher level of predictability than we do. But, you know, like one of the things I'm sure you guys have heard this before, if the old saying about, <clears throat> excuse me, the old saying about if you want to be a professional golfer, you've got to be comfortable with humiliation because you're going to hit some shots in front of other people that are humiliating. And that's the thing, you know. Uh, the last book I, I was reading, you know, talking about every professional golfer on their way to winning hits shots and in bunkers into trees, into water. I'm sorry, penalty area, whatever. So that's so <laughs> dumb. I just want to pause and say, because I'm talking to golfers, I watch a lot of golf. These guys are stepping over themselves. To go, I mean, water and penalty area hazard. We get it. We know it's a hazard. Shut up. Anyway, back to my gentle uh, Thank persona. You for that. But you know what I mean? Like, we, we, if you watch last week when uh, Justin Thomas won in the playoff, Xander Shoffley, three putts the last hole, <clears throat> you know? Um, he three putts it again in the playoff. It, we all do that. And, and I think sometimes amateurs forget that top-level players hit shitty shots. And maybe that forgiveness of ourselves is another thing we can think about. You know, like as good as you might think you are, you're going to hit bad shots. It doesn't mean you have to go back to Mike and go, my swing is broken. It's not working. You know, what you described about people that get out there and all of a sudden golf, you know, rears its ugly head. And now the, the move they've been working on all in all winter indoors with you is gone. And it ties into what Tim said. If you're not committed to a process of improvement over time, you'll immediately go back. And default to what you normally do, and whatever lessons you've been working on are gone. I know. So you know what? I know, guys. That was a lot to take in. I know. No, but that's one hundred percent true. And and you know, I, I think in the learning in the learning world, they call that the law of primacy, where you just revert to what you used to do because you know you get result, right? So, yep. um, and that's that. And and I think for a lot of players that do that, it's probably because the path they were on probably wasn't even right for them or they didn't have enough time to try to, you know, create into habits. So, you know, a lot of players that they come, the average player comes and you have to ask them, say, so what does golf look like to you? Is it, is it you go out and you play a couple or three times a week or you just practice and then play a little, or is it a mixture of both? 
And for a lot of players, they just play. I mean, depending on your average club player, they just play. They don't. They go hit a bucket of balls when they think they're playing poorly or before the club championship. That's right. Yeah. But they, they just go play. So it's going to be very hard to implement a change if all you're going to do is go from here and then tomorrow you're going to go play men's day on Wednesday and play 18 holes and, and hope somewhere between the practice tee today and tomorrow's first tee that you create this habit. So, I mean, that, that would be something I think that the instructor, the coach, and the, and the person taking the lessons would have to come to an agreement saying, if that's what this looks like to you, let's work on maybe making you a better, uh, a more efficient version of you rather than trying to change you into something else. And that would probably be better for you in the long run. Yeah. So if instead of hitting a 30 yard slice, we hit a 15 yard slice, you're going to be a better version of you. And rather than trying to say, well, okay, let's see if we can hit a draw and you've hit a slice for 64 years. Guys, one of the things that occurred to me now, and I wanted to run something by you, and I don't know if it's a gap in our instruction, but, you know, I, Tim does Toastmasters. I don't know if you know Mike. I do a lot of public speaking. I, I do a lot of stand-up. I'm doing comedy tonight. Anyway, one of the reasons I think there's some tie-in is because whenever people talk to me about stand-up and they have questions about it, I might be having lunch with somebody. They go, uh, hey, I like that joke you do about blah, 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 and I'll be talking about it. And I always say this. I say, comedy is very theoretical until you're standing up in front of a group of people. Just stay with me. And what I mean by that is I might think, like, I'm working tonight at 9, I'm at Yuck Yucks, and I have an idea of what I'm going to say. But sometimes you walk into the room, and all of a sudden the vibe's a little bit different, just like a golf game, you know. There's a good player over there you didn't expect was going to be watching you tee off, or in your group is a guy you don't like. And what I'm getting to is a famous Churchill um, quote where he says, No plan survives contact with the enemy. And, and and he's right. Sometimes we have... That's why that walk from the range to the first tee, as soon as the enemy presents its, itself, we default to our, you know, our fight-or-flight mentality. How does this, you know, how does this uh, tie into stand-up? Because it's all theoretical until the lights go down, and now we're here. Because that moment, all the training kind of goes out the window, and you're just kind of... You're, 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 you're sort of out there, and you have to survive any way you can. So no matter what your plan was, if you're not process-oriented, then you're screwed. Because as soon as there's a little pushback or a little contact with the enemy in this case, we will always default to something that's comfortable and, as Tim, in Tim's world, safe, right? Well, everything's about adaptability. It doesn't matter what you do, right? And, and that's, you know, I, I think the big thing with with the game that we play is that, I mean, to be adaptable, every shot is different when you go out and play. So it makes no sense to sit and hit the same one, you know, for you, it'd make no sense to sit and tell the same joke to yourself over and over and then go out and fire it out the first day and at the first, <laughs> you know, at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. and fire it. You hear nothing but crickets, right? Oh, I have so, heard, Mike, I've heard crickets. Yeah, I'll tell, you, go, you go, you know, there's you go Mrs. Mrs. Mazel at Vegas. or whatever, I'll tell right? you, there's, you know, that Mrs. Mazel is a great series because it, it, I mean, it's got some loose ends in it. My favorite part about that series is the guy that plays Lenny is from Hamilton. But I can tell you, and I, I had this discussion with the comic yesterday. You, you, you don't get to scratch in stand up until you can handle the silence. Yeah. And, and, and by that he means, or we mean, there are moments they're just listening, but newer comics are rushing and rushing and rushing and continuing to talk because they're insecure that when they stop talking, they may not be laughing. But you so watch what's the parallel. What's the parallel metaphor in golf? That you can't you can't get to where you want to go until you're comfortable with failure. 
because that's the thing is most golfers, I, I was one of them. I could, I would be okay until I had a bad hole and then the day would be over. I, I've told this story a million times. My proudest golf came last summer when in high, high level competition, I made a nine, a triple, an eight and still played on. It's what professional golfers do. My best story, Mike, Mike from last summer is in the Canadian national with the seniors. I made a triple bogey on the first hole of the front nine. And I made a quadruple bogey on the ninth hole, but the other seven holes, I was two under par because that's what grownups do, but that's not how I played. So I was comfortable having a shitty hole because I knew that if I just kept going, and as long as I kept going and trying, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I've bombed. Like, I, I had a show last week, and I literally, you know, I got laughs, but it was uncomfortable and, and, and not great. The week before, you know, I shot under par. It's, you just have to be comfortable with any scenario that presents itself. Well, how much yeah. of it is, guys, how much of it is that in the battlefield, whether it be stand-up or you're giving a presentation or you're on the first tee and people are watching you, how much of it is just being able to, in essence, trust and just, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to let this go. I've, I've done the work. I've put in the time. I've been playing for years. I've been doing this. Just, just let her go on instinct. Is it, is it as easy as that, Mike? Oh, I don't think so. I think the thing is, is that you have to, until you've had a variety of experiences that you can draw on based on what's presented to you at that time, then you can handle it. That's to me, I would say that's preparation. And um, if you went and you only hit balls in a dome and then you went out and it was windy, certainly the conditions are much different. You wouldn't have the adaptability or be able to draw on a resume or of different shots in order to handle that. So like with Howard, if you, if he went out and he was, he was going to do his comedy act and he'd already been at a, you know, a certain type of club where he knows it's going to, the clientele is going to be a certain way. Well, he could think back and say, okay, all right, right away I can assess these people and I can adapt and I know that I can draw on this thing I did three years ago at a similar situation and yep. it worked. Right. Um, but when you don't have that, and that's when, like, when I see a lot of players and, and some people ask me why, I, why these players aren't moving forward. And I say I don't think they're skilled enough because they don't have this, um, these, this skill set in their procedural memory that they can say, okay, when I, when I look at this condition right now, whoop, one, two, three, four, there's the shot I need. Right. Rather than if I just have one shot, I'm going to be in trouble. So it's that, it's that adaptability in whatever you do. But that's only based on experience. And basically stuff that you've stored in long-term memory that you already have experience with, and then you can match one to the other. Absolutely. And that's a piece that a a lot of people don't get, no matter what field you're in, is what experience do you have? What reps have you got in in all these different ways? Um, You know, a lot of people will say, gosh, how can that guy on TV, uh, you know, there's millions of people, you know, watching on, on TV, and there's thousands, millions of dollars at stake. How can they even pull the putter back? And I went, well, they've been doing this since they were like eight or 10 years old. Yeah, exactly. They've got experience doing this. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people just, they don't, they actually don't give themselves credit for, you know, going in and perhaps failing a few times, if you will. Uh, and that's all good stuff because then you can draw on that later, that experience. You can see it all the time. For sake of example, um, you know, guys once say a John Deere kind of event or maybe another you know, kind of tier four level. And then suddenly he's in contention in a major on a Sunday. 
well, usually those guys throw up all over their shoes because they just haven't been in that situation. And, and not because they're chokers or they're bad people or they can't handle it. It's just that it takes a lot of time. I, I get a, you know, I've been doing, you know, public performing, performing and speaking a long, long time. And I was in a, uh, you know, I, I met Yuck Yucks a lot in Toronto, Burlington, whatever. But I was at a small club a week ago with a lot of kids. And I mean kids, like, just like, you know, guys on your team, Tim or, or uh, Mike, you know, 20-somethings, early 30s who haven't been doing it very long, and there really is a difference. And, and I'm not saying I'm, you know, but there's a, there was a difference when I walked on stage because it's one of those, in Toronto, they have a lot of shows where there's amateurs and they'll throw a few pros on. And I was one of the pros. I went up and did like eight or ten minutes. But there was a couple kids on before me, and they were really, really good, and I thought they were hilarious. But they just don't have the reps in. They haven't done it enough. And as soon as I walk on, there's, you know, there's just an air of comfort that comes from having done it a thousand times. And what you were saying, Mike, like lots, we all know good, good young players. It just hit it so good, but they just aren't ready. I mean, look how long it took this Canadian kid, Mike Giglick, Gillick, Gliglick, to get onto the PGA Tour. And he's insanely good. Do you guys know who he is? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Right. And I played with him a couple of years ago. He was uh, on the Nationwide Corn Ferry or whatever. And at the time I played with him in this uh, pro-am, I was like, this is the best player I've ever seen up close. And he's nothing compared to Justin Thomas. But he is. He just didn't doesn't have the, the timeline of experience. Right. Right. Yeah, it's the adaptability for sure. You know, and the, the, the shot today for a lot of the young players is just, it's a nine iron that goes 180 yards. It goes 140 feet in the air, and that's it. So, but you know, it, it is that, interesting. At that level a lot of times. You know, uh, just as we wrap up here, one of the things I really like about the coverage, I mean, again, we're old guys. We've all been watching golf a long time. You mentioned that shot tracer. I wish they had it on every shot. I love it. Yeah. But another thing I like that they started doing, uh, and I saw a little bit of it in Hawaii last week, that tournament, is they'll put in, when a guy's got a shot that he's contemplating, they'll put in his stock numbers. And uh-huh. it's interesting. You know, they'll say a stock 9-iron makes 156, but sometimes you'll see them hit 120-yard 9-irons, and sometimes they'll hit it 180 yards. And that's another thing, you know, I, I think a lot of amateurs don't, aren't comfortable with, which is, you know, hit the shot, not the club. Because a lot of guys are like, I hit my 9-iron 145, but do you? You mean that one time when it was downwind? Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you do? You hit 155, you're a niner. And I don't think you do all the time. And a lot of amateurs would be better off taking more club and, and hitting a solid shot. I've stunned, I've stunned you again. No, uh, absolutely. Players that I work with, I, I, I'd say to them, okay, if, if you can hit, say, your 9-iron at, at 150 yards, I want to see you be able to hit a 9-iron, an 8-iron, a 7-iron onto the same target. Right, exactly. So it's if a you great can drill. do more than one thing with the same stick, now you're skilled. Otherwise, you're just working on, on style. And, and that's when you get players that go, you hear them, oh, well, I just didn't really have good yardages all day today. Yeah, bullshit. What does that mean? Yeah, You, know, you, know, you have to be able to hit at the yardage given. What you said, I'm going to say, form versus skill is something that I think we should talk a lot about uh, as this year. Form versus skill. Because you can work on your form, but can you hit a, a, a seven iron, you know, choke down, hit that seven iron 125 yards under the wind? I think that's a skill that, right. you know, people don't often develop. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's really interesting how um, 
people believe and say their stock number. This is this is what I hit, you know, in this yardage. And people don't understand exactly how adaptable they really are yeah. by just <clears throat> kind of <laughs> by giving this job over to their body and letting it happen. I experienced that a couple of years ago. I was doing like a beat the pro thing, um, whereas I was speaking at a conference. So I think it was the second hole at um, oh, it doesn't matter. It was a course in uh, Muskoka. And the, the hole was only, I think, 100 and something like 20 yards. And what they did was they would, we, people would come to the team and pull a card. And based on the card was what club you hit. I hit everything from a four iron to, <laughs> to a lob wedge. And I could hit, it was interesting, as the day went on, I could hit that, whatever club it was, about 120 yards. I, I could just adapt. And it wasn't from any kind of... Uh, you know, trying to make something different happening. It was just adapt to what was kind of presented in front of me, and my body would figure out how hard to hit it. As we uh, get to wrap up here with um, Mike Martz, <clears throat> um, certified uh, super super coach. Is that your certification, super coach? Yes, I think superstar. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, great. You know, it's good to see you. I wish we could... Uh, you know, you're, every time i Mike's one of those people. I've only had a chance to talk to him in person a couple times, and you know, it just seems like a great guy. Are you a great guy, Mike? Because he just has this, just has this kind of nice way anyway. about him. Yeah, he's yeah. got a good way about him. If you guys are, I don't even know if Mike could. If you want some more information about Mike Martz, look it up for God's sake. Yeah, so Google. Go on Google. Hey, yeah, Mike, so can I ask I'll you? say, I'll say, Mike, uh, folks, uh, you're listening, and you live, you know, in in Ontario. Uh, yeah, give some thought. If you want to work on your game this winter or anytime, no. uh, Mike works at a Whistlebear Golf Club. Um, and I really, Mike, it was the first time you and I worked together as kind of uh, coach and coach E. And uh, I, I love your uh, I love your style, man. It was really good. Yeah, I believe the word you're looking like for is student. Are you looking for that? student? Is that the word you're looking for? Struggling? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he hit, he hit balls for an hour and, and he never missed a simulator. Dude, so it he can, went well. This, I will say this about O'Connor. He finally hits it good. Like, Tim's a perfect example of somebody that he hits it good enough. You know what I mean? Like, like if this is, I think, I've, I've played with him a few times. He hits it pretty good. And I think people should just be wary when Tim O'Connor rocks up on the first tee because... Sidles in with his 6.0 index. So I, I will Watch take out. him. <laughs> just before I let you go, I want to ask you uh, one... La- this is going to be a weird way to end, but I've just been thinking about this a lot this winter. It's what I've been working on a lot in my swing, and it gets back to the way we were taught in the 70s, the whole idea of rolling the club open on the way back. And I just want to ask you a question because a lot of people see golfers now, Dustin Johnson... A lot of the younger pros, it looks like their club face is closed squarer, meaning it goes back more shut than it was, say, back in our day. Do you see that at all, or is that just my imagination? Yeah, I don't think there's as much face rotation as there was in the past because, again, when this when the swing is a lot more dominated with core rotation. Uh, it's it's sort of swing your arms to the left, stabilize the face is is kind of the new the new, the new right. swing, right? So, and I mean the players are so strong that I mean they can a lot of the PGA Tour players can get along away with a lot of stuff that isn't really biomechanically 100 percent efficient, but they're just so strong and they just do it right. But I mean a lot of those guys they just hold the face less more stable and then they rotate their body and 
Away they go. And, and I, know, I know that's not for every, you know, 55, 65-year-old body, but I just want people to explore, you know, go online and look it up because I can tell you the last couple of months, the little bit of training I did and, and when I went away on this uh, golf trip in December, like, I have tried. I have tried to stabilize the face a little bit more, and I'll tell you, it it takes away some of the curvature, but it it, it does produce more predictability, and that's the word I'm going to be using in 2020. Absolutely, that's what uh, I, on uh, the University of Guelph golf team, uh, Justin Allen. Uh, Justin's about six two, maybe he's two twenty. Uh, he's a big lad. I yeah. mean, he's like he's got like those uh, you know Sidney Crosby big butt, <laughs> and yeah. that's exactly what he does. He he the the club stays they square to the path, and he just rotates like crazy, and he just hits the ball a million miles, and so solid, and with just not very much. Um, Movement variance, you know, side if, to side. for the longest Dispersion, time. That's the word. Yeah, for the longest time, I really didn't get Dustin Johnson. You know, he's he, he's got the super um, the bow thing, bowed left wrist. But what he does is he just basically you see him, it it looks shut, and he just windmills his arms up, and then as you said, Mike, he's got such strength that he can just rotate, and that club is so stable because you know we were talking about curvature earlier, but a lot of those guys that go to hold off cut yeah. that they all hit it's so predictable and i and i love that that idea that as you get to be better in this game you should have more predictability in the outcome of what you're trying to produce uh mike martz you're a very nice person hang around tim we'll do a few extra minutes as we say goodbye mike thank you very much yeah mike thanks, thanks man. guys um thanks, Please continue to be a nice person. Uh, we all appreciate <laughs> we appreciate you coming in best. here. And yeah. hey, uh, thanks for doing this, Mike. Thanks, Mikey. Thanks, guys. Hey, you say goodbye now. We'll say goodbye in a second. Goodbye. Yeah, bye. That's Mike Martz. Good boy. You have to. Yeah, there he's gone. He's gone now. That's well, funny. I love I love talking with that guy. And and what a great uh, it was. As I said, it was the first time I ever worked with him as a as a student with him as coach. Wow, what a yeah, great good. bedside manner. Uh, I will agree. I ha- When we had him on our show a couple of years ago, I did the same. I went out to Whistle Bear, and we had a nice chat and worked on some stuff. I will say this. Uh, you know, I've been one to work with different people. I know. Uh, I get very excited about shiny objects. I'm like, oh, that's Swing Fairy. Let me try that. But yeah. I, I want to tell you, I'm making this announcement. So, it, you know, I'm, this is... On the record. On the record. That uh, I have uh, given up, uh, and I'm going to give up all other, you know, because I noodle around a little bit with Evershed, and I had been dealing with a, another guy. I went for one lesson with Ralph Bauer, who is great. Uh, there's a guy in the States that I was having a look at my stuff, and and really, it's more than a, a grown man should be bothering with. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I look back at the last couple of years of whatever improvements I made, and a lot of them were due to working with Nick. Nick Trachilio, who was right. the uh, coach at Humber. And, and I said to him a couple months ago, I said, okay, I'm, I'm done with, I said, here's my goals. Here are my goals for 2020. And I said, uh, and one of the things I'm going to do is I'm just going to work with you. I'm not going to have any other outside, you know, whatever. And, and I just want to stay with one person for this year and see if that, because that, that way when things do start to go inevitably sideways sometimes, I'll have someone that's got a very recent template 
of the of the process, and that's what I right. think is going to be beneficial for me. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there one of the things go. that was one of the things. Well, so you're on the record for that. So I'm on uh, the record. We'll hold, we'll, we'll hold you accountable. Nikki T. We'll hold you accountable. Uh, well, to that. Okay, but I am going to go to see my buddy Martin Chuck in Phoenix. But that's not for me. It's for my girlfriend. I told that to Nick. I said I'm going to go down to uh, the see Martin at Tour Striker Golf Academy. And I said, but Rachel's going to his school, and I'm going to go down there and say, Marty, here's what I'm working on. Let's not screw this up. And, so, Marty, whatever you tell me, I'm going to completely ignore this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tim, Tim, I don't like your attitude right now. Okay, well, I'm just kidding. I've known you for a little while, pal. You know, like, I, know I totally get all golfers would get the shiny new object thing. Yeah. You know, read something in Golf Digest. Ooh. Ooh, okay. the, the problem is now you can read something on the toilet on Instagram. Like my Instagram is filled <laughs> with golf instructors and sciatic uh, uh, discussion. <laughs> so I do. The, well, I do this joke right now. In my act, I say, you know, there, at one time I wouldn't want you to see my browsing history because it was filled with yoga porn. Now I don't want you to see it because it's all like leg pain while driving. <laughs> well, one of the things, <laughs> well, one of the things that's interesting about that I noted that working with Mike is that right away, this is this is going to be something that's simple. Like, there's no adding on here. What I've noticed right away is it's it's just it's just do what you do, Tim. Just you know, you hit you hit. I thought that when last year when I was playing in my better games, I was hitting a draw. But the numbers and the ease in which I could hit a fade was went, well, dude, just hit a fade. So just allow yourself to do what you do well. And and particularly when I was trying to um, – he asked me to try, as he said earlier, about trying to hit, say, a, a low shot. So rather than trying to hit it 80 feet, to hit it, say, 60 feet. And I lowered my body to try and do that. And he said, well, you know, why don't you just try and feel like you're just – you're hitting uh, – interesting, he said – like you're at one end of a hockey rink and you're going to shoot the puck the length of the ice and let it stay on the ice. What would that feel like? So, it, so I just emulated that feeling of almost like <clears throat> just sweeping it. And it's like, wow. <laughs> All of a sudden that's when the numbers went to zero, you know, <clears throat> perfect club face angle and path. And it was from doing less than more. Well, I'll just say the last thing about hitting the ball straight. My buddy Paul Henrik has this uh, great phrase because he's always trying to get me to work, you know, the, the balls into the pins, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And he always says, think about it this way. The straight shot is the miss. So if you've got yeah. a, what he means is if you've got a left hand pin, you're hitting your seven iron in there. You know, the, the proper shot is to kind of draw it off the right edge, depending on how much trouble there is left to the pin. But you basically want to sort of aim to the middle, draw it to the pin, or or if there's trouble, aim to the right-hand side of the green and then draw it. So as he says, if you aim to the right side of the green and draw it, now you're in the middle of the green. If you aim to the right side of the green and over draw it, now you're in the pin. But if yeah. you miss it and you block it, the straight shot, the one that goes straight and doesn't curve, is on the right side of the green or not short-sided is his point. Right. Lots of green to work with. Straight shot's the miss. Listen, my friend, always a Absolutely. pleasure to have Congress with you, to enjoy our, our times together. Uh, you want to make a quick announcement because we're at an hour... No, we're fine. We're at like an hour and five minutes. So uh, why don't you finish off by telling everyone uh, this new uh, this new chapter in your life? Or, yeah, or we can... well, um, 
Yeah, I've been co- I've been coaching the University of Guelph golf team for three years as head coach, two years before that as assistant, and uh, just things are changing in my life in a, in a lot of ways uh, in what I'm doing in, in my coaching and uh, opportunities working at the University of Guelph. So yeah, I've uh, announced uh, today, Friday, that I've resigned as the uh, the head coach of the Guelph golf team. So I'm going to make that announcement today to the team. Uh, I'll tell you just thinking about it when i sent the email to the team about the meeting i could feel my throat just kind of you know so uh it's gonna be tough but it's um there's a really some really good things happening for me in my coaching life and particularly working with uh the uh the university in uh in ways in which we'll be able to talk about a little bit later well uh, i'll tell you we're not putting this show up until at least saturday so no no one's gonna hear it uh well no one's gonna hear it anyway um but I would say congratulations to you. You should be very Thank proud you. of yourself. You're a nice man, and I'm sure those children, those those kids have been. I know that. I know those children have benefited from your, uh, you know, a lot from your golfy stuff. But I would say even more from the kind of guy you are and the having a man in their lives that can show them that there's a, another way to be that you can be open and honest and share and and caring and not also be a guy. Yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. You're very welcome. Appreciate that. Okay, well, I got to go. I know you got to go. All right. Well, this is great. This so is you're doing great. stand-up? You're doing some more stand-up this weekend? Uh, yeah. I'm, um, tonight I'm working with a guy. Here, I'll show you his uh, poster here. I can see it. See, it says Story Yelling. <laughs> this is a uh, very f- pretty famous Canadian comedian named Darren Frost, buddy of mine. Uh, what you can't see on this poster is it's X-rated, no refunds. This Darren Frost guy has walked the room. Have you ever heard that phrase? No. So when you walk the room, that means people get up and leave your show. <laughs> so he is, uh, but I'll tell you, he is the, if you want to see somebody like, this is the art form of stand-up comedy. Hold No holds barred. You're going to hear some stuff that's just like, what? But it's like, hey, some people like heavy metal. Some people like, uh, you know, folk music. This is definitely heavy metal. Mm. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, tonight, uh, next week, uh, listeners in the Burlington area can see me Friday and Saturday. I'll be at Yuck Yucks in Burlington uh, doing about 20 minutes each. And, uh, you know, that's what I do. Yeah, and each day on uh, Humble and Fred Radio. Humble and Fred Radio seems to continue. Timberly, you're a good boy. And uh, Tim O'Connor's blog and all that other stuff. Uh, Where do we find that? O'ConnorGolf.ca. Sure you do. And then, of course, TaylorMade and Adidas are friends, and hopefully we continue. Uh, We we sealed that deal back in the fall. Remember that? No, no. In the hallway there. (laughs) (laughs) The handshake. Well, well, you know what? No deal is sealed until, uh, you know, I get my fitting scheduled. (laughs) All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. All right, Timmy. Take care. Bye-bye. There you go. There's Tim O'Connor. Here we go. Bye-bye. When you hear the music, baby